Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Digital Rookie Podcast. My name is Patrick Quay. In this episode, we return to the NBA with Sandro Gasparro, Director of Social Media at the LA Clippers. Firstly, I have to keep pinching myself that I'm getting to talk to all of these awesome people, so a massive thanks to Sandro for taking the time to have a chat with me. Sandro provides some amazing insight into his role at the Clippers, from how signing two of the NBA's best players impacted their digital communication strategy, to the different initiatives the Clippers have built in order to adapt to the forever changing landscape that is 2020. If you find yourself enjoying today's episode, then make sure to write a short review on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate all the feedback. If you're interested in connecting with Sandro and myself, then you can find links to our LinkedIn profiles in the description below. As always, I would love to hear from any listeners, and likewise, Sandro is a great connection to have for those aspiring to work in the digital industry. While you're connecting with us on LinkedIn, you should jump on over to Instagram and follow at Digital Rookie Hub. There you can find all the graphics and promotional material I post while keeping up to date with new episodes and guests. So as always, would really appreciate the follow. Otherwise, that's it from me. Enjoy my chat with Sandro and I'll catch you at the end. Cheers. Sandro, thanks so much for uh, joining me this morning over in um, LA. Obviously not morning for you, but uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and, um, and having a chat to me. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad we can make the uh, the time difference work. This is actually a great time for me. <laughs> yeah, it has been has been a little bit in, some early mornings for me waking up for um some yeah. past guests from the NBA. Um, but you know what, things things I do to a bit of networking. It's uh, it's all worth it. So um, let's get stuck into it, Sandro. Just can you tell me a bit about yeah your your background and um how you've made it into sport. Hmm. So for me, you know. I've been working in sports pretty much mostly exclusively in sports for the last like eight years. I graduated in 2012 with a sport management degree from the University of Michigan. Um, If I'm being totally honest with you, when I was 18, I was just kind of like, well, what do I want to do? I don't know. Sports seem cool. I'll major in sport management. It wasn't the most like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) thought out thing. It was a very 18 year old boy kind of thing to do. That said, uh, I think I've been really lucky to kind of you know, one, go to a school like Michigan where they had a great program. They actually had a very good sport management program and they were able to kind of place me or help place me in a lot of different internships. Uh, I learned a lot there. Coming out of school, I, you know, I've done internships in a few different areas. I had worked in marketing and, and fan services and game day operations, sponsorship. And I was, you know, still kind of unsure of what I wanted to do coming out of school. I just, you know, again, I was really just focused on, frankly, just getting a job. And I was lucky enough to get a job back at Michigan with the athletics department after graduating in the marketing department. And from there, it's where kind of like, I was, you know, I'm working in social now, but I wasn't working in social then. Uh, But they had a director of digital um, at the time who would come from the NBA, who would come from the Knicks. Uh, I thought what he did was really interesting and really cool. And I think I just asked him one day if I could just shadow him and and learn from him. Um, And it all kind of took off, took off from there. Like I started getting small projects in social eventually was able to run my own, you know, run some accounts on my own and learn and fail and try a lot of different things. And now, you know, that's what kind of set me on this path. And then now here I am like fortunately fortunate enough to be working with my second NBA franchise uh, with the Clippers uh, overseeing their social team. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it will definitely talk about your role at the Clippers. Mm-hmm. One thing I just wanted to ask you about getting a job at uh, back at Michigan at the, at the college, mm-hmm. That seems to be something that quite a lot of people who end up working in sport do post-graduating. Is that, is that like a trend or is, is that quite common? 
Uh, I think, you know, it, it is pretty, you know, a lot of folks who get into sports here, uh, you know, one way to get in obviously is through sales and that's pretty common right through like an NBA or, or major league baseball team working in sales, which is a great way to get your foot in the door. Right. Uh, I think college is another way just because one, there are so many college programs in the U S right. Like it's just a thing that really kind of is unique to the United States. And also like a lot of these college programs are, they're pretty scrappy and small, right? So it's an opportunity if you're young, uh, if you get into the right situation to try a lot of different things, learn a lot of different things and really kind of get a sense of what you're good at or, or what you want to do just because of really out of need, right? A lot of these college programs are not huge um, on the marketing side or on the or within the athletic department themselves. So I think, yeah, I think those are two, those two routes are, are, are pretty common here. Yeah, it's interesting because- Early in your career. Yeah, because here, obviously we don't have the college system here, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people say a good way into the sports industry is going through like grassroots uh, clubs and and really getting to the local level, obviously just mm -hmm. volunteering, making it your own and, and yeah. uh, going that way is kind of like a way to differentiate yourself and get your own experience. Um, so it's interesting how the co it's kind of like the college system over there is is the equivalent. So let's get stuck into a bit about your role specifically. So as the director of social media at the LA Clippers, uh, one thing when I was thinking about, you know, what what your role is, is the the misconception that people with your with jobs like yours are constantly just like creating and posting content, mm -hmm. but they don't really realize the amount of strategy that's involved and like the emphasis on dealing with sponsors and partnerships. Can you explain a bit about that part of your job and how you work with like other organizations to develop campaigns? For sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, social is still a very, I would still consider it a pretty new industry, right? Like eight years ago, eight years is not a long time. And, you know, teams really have only been, uh, you know, been involved in social over the last decade. Um, and it, you know, as it started, it really was kind of like a one man or woman show, right? Like one person doing a lot, whether it's creating graphics and publishing, or maybe even doing some video stuff with their phone, right? Like, and it's since just gotten a lot more sophisticated and, and I think almost specialized, right? Because there's a lot of different ways you can get into content or get into social depending mm. on your skill set. For us, right? Like creating content is obviously so important. We want to be the best storytellers that we can be and the best storytellers really in the NBA is our goal. Uh, but a lot of that is informed by our strategy, right? And, and informed by like the thought that we put into the content. So that's looking back and seeing how things are performing and understanding what works, what doesn't work, using our own intuition over you know, the years of experience that we have and, and what we've seen in the NBA, in other industries that we've worked in, right? And what we can bring to the table. Um, taking a hard look at the numbers is, is really important. I think I really think course, social yeah. is really kind of just as much an art as it is a science, right? Like you, you have your own creativity and intuition, but it's informed by data, it's informed uh, by experience. And then yeah, like for us, right, like monet, like actually showing revenue, and monetizing it is really, really important. It wasn't back when I started in 2012, 2013, nobody really knew what to do with it. Um, but now like, you know, I'd say like at least a third of my job is just dealing uh, with our sponsorship team, right? And working closely with them, uh, making sure that partners have what they need, that sales, that the sales staff has what they need uh, so that they can sell new content and, and sell inventory. And then also working with our marketing team as well is really important one for like from a fan development standpoint, social really is kind of like the front door to the Clippers or, or to any organization. Um, but also on like broader campaigns, right? Like social might be, it often becomes like one of the most important channels 
for like a larger marketing campaign, right? Like whether it's all-star voting or whether it's the playoffs or whether it's a schedule release, um, social is, is typically the primary distribution channel for a lot of that. So working very closely with these different parts of our business is, is really important to us. Yeah. I, I remember when I was talking to Karen Ramming from the mm-hmm. Warriors, she was mentioning like a big part of her job was really just interacting with all the other parts of the business um, yeah. and making sure that everyone has a clear idea of the the way that the socials are run and how it works. Is that a big part of your role as well? And how do you find, how do you find that interaction of the Clippers? Definitely. Like I think again, it, just make putting our strategy to paper and communicating that is really important, right? So that everybody understands why we're doing things and that there's a process um, for how we approach content, for how we approach new ideas, for how we approach a campaign. Um, again, I'd say a lot of my time is again, marketing and, and um, sponsorship are where I spend a lot of my time, but it does also bleed into other areas of the business, right? Like whether it be inter, you know, arena presentation, or community or these other aspects that are not as comp, not always on for us. Right. But like there are key moments throughout the year uh, where we might want to highlight something that's happening in arena, or we might want to highlight something that the team is doing in the community, uh, communicating that strategy to them so that it kind of gives them a framework for like how to work with us. Right. Is, is really important. Yeah. And especially obviously at the moment with no fans and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. there's an even bigger emphasis on social as that main interaction with, Yes. With the fan base and people who are interested in the, in the franchise. Um, so how, how has that impacted the interactions with the other parts of the business and making mm-hmm. sure that you don't just start posting a whole heap of content that's not necessarily quality? Right. Yeah. So again, that's where it comes back to the strategy, right? And, and what we've put to paper and what we've communicated um, but yeah, it's been, been unique because social really has been, has been one of the very few ways we've been able to communicate with our fans mm. on like a larger scale, right. For the last seven months. Um, so for us, we really coming into this hiatus, we really wanted to double down on this community and kind of creating a deeper connection with our fans on social. So that we did that a, a few different ways. Uh, one was our a video series that we launched very early in the hiatus called Good Morning Clipper Nation, where simply a player or coach or staff member or celebrity fan even would like just leave a message for Clipper, like a video message for Clippers fans, right? Okay. Just to check in, say what they've been doing, saying what they've been up to, right? And that was just our, our, our way of just kind of like keeping the Clippers top of mind, but also kind of like um, empathizing with our fans and, you know, realizing we're all kind of in this together. Yeah. Um, another thing that we did you know, our season ticket members are really important to us, right? And they can't be in the arena uh, right now for any team. And so something we actually ended up doing was creating this kind of, this isn't necessarily social media, but it does tie a little bit, but uh, a pre and post game uh, Zoom show that was kind of like a sports bar call in, uh, sports, sports talk radio call in kind of show style hosted by a radio host. We would have like celebrity fans on. Uh, to talk about the games, to talk about the team, to talk about being a Clippers fan. And these people, these select season ticket members were actually allowed to be on the screen, right? And actually interact and be part of the actual broadcast itself, which was really cool. Um, And then in addition to that, we also put it into our like very recently launched Facebook group, which again, we just wanted to continue to foster a discussion and community around the team as people are all separated from each other. Um, and so like launching the Facebook group is, was really cool and really important for us, but also the show just as a way to kind of one drive value for season ticket members, but two, just make sure that they're 
sticking around and staying engaged with the team. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, season ticket members, are they're paying members and usually get their value for money out of being able to attend, mm-hmm. a game, attend games. So finding ways to engage them differently yeah. and, and, um, and get them get their value for money in different ways using social is, um, is a, is a really cool idea. And, um, but obviously a really big challenge as well to, to think of ways to Definitely. do that properly. Definitely um, not easy. So Sandro, I've always thought the Clippers are really interesting franchise in the NBA, specifically from like a branding perspective as part of your role, like I'm sure you've got a really strong understanding of who Clippers fans are, but can you explain to those listening and, and me um, a bit about Clippers fans and how you go about shaping what you do around them specifically? So Clippers fans, I think are a really unique bunch, right? Because we're in a one for one LA in general, is an entertainment capital in so many different ways, but also there are 10 pro sports teams, excuse me, 10 pro sports teams, Two for every sport. There's two massive college athletics programs here, too, in, in UCLA and USC. Mm-hmm. Um, so just in general, like, there's a lot of attention that, you know, that there's a lot of options for, for fans, right? That we, where we, so we need to work really hard to get their attention. Uh, the Clippers, you know, every, I think most NBA fans know the franchise's history, right? Outside of, you know, the last 10 years or so, or even less, it's, it was pretty dark, right? Like, there wasn't a lot going on uh, from on the court. The team wasn't winning a bunch. They had a few iconic players like Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson and, and a great team in 2006 with Corey McGetty and Sam Cassell, but there hasn't been a lot of success on the floor for the Clippers. So I think, you know, for one, the fans, so a Clippers fan is typically somebody who's like, you know, they're a little, they definitely like to go against the grain. They're not just like following the bandwagon or they're not just like following everybody else to the Lakers or to another more winning franchise. Um, I, we found honestly that a lot of them too are transplants um, just because, you know, so many people come to LA from across the country for, for mm. so many different reasons. Right. But in particular to be in entertainment and, and other areas. Um, so a lot of those folks came, you know, from the mid, from the Midwest or the Northeast or the South or wherever um, not either not having a team yet. And, but just like liking basketball and then kind of gravitating towards, towards the Clippers because they didn't maybe want to look like a bandwagon fan. Or even frankly, because like at the time, there was a time when, you know, the Clippers tickets, even to this day, I think are still, you know, a little bit more affordable to the general public sure, than, yeah. than Lakers tickets. So that was something that was a way to kind of bring people in, bring families in as well, just because, again, the cost of going to some of the, some of the other entertainment options was, were just so much more expensive around the city. So I think, you know, again, it's kind of like trans, like transplant people that like to, are a little more like avant-garde and like to go against the grain. Um, you know, I grew up like a Red Sox fan, actually. So I kind of understand it, you know, in the, growing up in the, in the shadow of like, I grew up in the Northeast in Connecticut, which is kind of 50-50 Red Sox, Yankees okay. uh, country, but like at a time when the Yankees were dominant. And so I understood what it was kind of, I kind of can relate to the Clipper fan in that sense as a. Red Sox fan pre 2004 before the team kind of like broke the curse. Right. Okay. Um, where we were kind of like the little brother, uh, to, to the Yankees, uh, or this, you know, when the Clippers were once a little brother to the Lakers. Yeah. So how have you, have you used that mindset to kind of allow, uh, drive your strategy for appealing to the Clippers fans and your socials? So we don't really think too much about like other teams when we're coming up with our strategy, right? Like we recognize this, the landscape where we just have to scrape a lot more uh, being in a market with the, with the Lakers, but all these other teams as well, right? Like what, it just means that what we do has to be like a little bit better 
to kind of break through, right? And so it just means that we really have to double down on, on things like storytelling, on things like strategy and making sure what we're doing makes sense and understanding like what our fans are actually looking for from us, right? Um, because, you know, there was a time, especially in particular last, not as much this season, but last season, the Clippers weren't covered a ton. Uh, they weren't on national TV a lot. Uh, they weren't talked about nearly as much as they were this season. And so our channels, again, were like one of the only places where people could frequently get Clippers content, get the access that we were giving them. So again, it's not, not as much, you know, shaped by like the Lakers or another team. Uh, but we do recognize that it just kind of adds to the challenge for sure. Yeah, of course. That, that's a good segue kind of into my next question about the growth of the Clippers mm-hmm. in 2020, but also over the last few years, I think on field since like 2017 with like the trading of Chris Paul and then the shift in the structure of the franchise. And that's almost culminated for the season just finished mm-hmm. with uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George signing. How have you perceived that change in your role as like social media? Can you speak to the numbers of like growth wise and Mm -hmm. what's the impact of having two of the best players in the league and the world on your roster? Yeah. So to take it back, I joined the team uh, following the 2017-18 season. And so, you know, that season, the summer prior, Chris Paul was, was traded to the Rockets and the team had acquired Patrick Beverly, Montrose Harrell, Lou Williams who are now very, you know, who are pretty core players for yeah. the team. Blake Griffin had been traded mid-season uh, that, that past year. And DeAndre Jordan left in free agency for, uh, for the Mavericks that some, right before I got there, right? So that, was, that kind of like was effectively the end of the Lob City era for the mm. team, right? Which is obviously a very successful and popular time, right, for the Clippers. So heading into last season, they were kind of publicly lacking a bit of an identity. And that was something that they acknowledged, right? Like they had the, this roster of like kind of scrappy underdog types who were good players, but maybe a little bit overlooked across the league. Again, not talked about a ton in the media, not expected to do a lot on the court, not expected to be bad, just not expected to really make any kind of a run or anything like that. Um, and kind of, you know, a lot of people saw, a lot of the outsiders saw last year as kind of a transition year right into this year. Our focus really coming out of that, out of Lob City was to like work with our communications team, work with our basketball operations staff, work with others around the organization to really define like what being a Clipper is, right? And kind of re-establish who we are as an organization uh, in this new time, right? Um, and so a lot of the work we did was, again, around team culture, around access to the team and our, and our staff and our players and kind of taking a, a deeper look at them as people uh, was really, really important to us. All knowing that like, this past, you know, a year ago, last summer, we were going to try to make a big play for, for a free agent. And then that really would shift, you know, things and yeah. as it kind of did. Um, so we, we slowly kind of built momentum over the course of last season. Uh, a lot of the fans that we had a pretty significant social following, but a lot of fans were, had just been disengaged since kind of the end of Lob City. Because, again, they didn't okay. really know what, to, what the team was, what to expect from us. So a big focus of, of ours last, you know, last season, which is now basically two seasons ago it was to re-engage those fans, right? And bring them back, get them back in. So engagement rate was a really important metric for us. So just continuing to build that up year over year was huge. And then heading into last summer, the team had a lot of momentum, right? Like they had had a very successful season, 48 wins and a playoff appearance, two wins against the defending champion Warriors in the first round, kind of ending the season on a very high note, something that our fans were extremely proud of. And then, yeah, once we, once, you know, the news hit on July 5th that the team was going to acquire both Kawhi and Paul George, that really just took us to another 
level from a yeah. from a growth and engagement standpoint. It's really funny, right? Like that was the night. July fifth was the night that it was reported by media, by Woj, by Chris Haynes and others. But the team didn't officially announce it until a few days later, right? Interesting. Just, okay. Yeah. There was there was the um, I'm forgetting the word now, but there's a brief time period between when free agency starts and we can actually announce deals. Okay, like a blackout period kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so like we actually couldn't even officially announce until the next day was like the earliest we could announce it anyway. Um, But it took a few days just to get everything sorted out, contracts, all that stuff, right? And in in that like four day period, even before we had officially said from the Clippers account, like welcome Kawhi Leonard, welcome Paul George, um, our engagement just spiked like out of control. It was really funny because we were like in the middle of summer league which is like a, you know, a great, like kind of more for the diehards, right? Like you get to watch young players develop. You get to get a kind of sneak peek at some of the young guys in the team. But mm. it's just kind of like, it's just basketball in Vegas. It's not very high stakes. Um, and all of our content, all of a sudden, just started skyrocketing just because people were so excited about Kawhi, knowing that he was going to be a Clipper, right? And, and same with Paul George. And so just seeing like hundreds of thousands of views um, like a summer league highlight was yeah. was really funny, and all the comments and and replies were like announce Kawhi, announce Paul George, right? Like people were really really pumped about it. Um, and then the day itself, right? Like we had spent a lot of time in the weeks prior planning out a lot of these different scenarios, right? Knowing that Kawhi was very much on the team's radar, we had planned a lot of things for Kawhi. Uh, again, being fortunate that we had this space, like we didn't plan, we admittedly did not really anticipate. Paul George becoming a Clipper. Sure, yeah. uh, so it gave us a few days to plan out some things that included both of them, right? And things unique to Paul. Um, because again, that was not something that we had, we had ever really anticipated. He wasn't a free agent. Um, so that, that extra time actually gave us a lot of, uh, was, was good. And it gave us some time, one, to kind of, the engagement started to trickle up already, but two, just to give us time to actually plan content for Paul. Yeah, and get something really um, good and, out there, right? And once the announcements went, we had like four or five things just queued up for that whole first day, right? Yeah. And July 2019, I think is still like by far the most, the highest engaged like month in Clippers history, uh, in Clippers social history, right? Like mm. I look back in the numbers and it was unlike anything we had, we had seen before. And honestly, even to this day have, have not even, you know, matched, I think last July, which is pretty crazy, but that meant momentum carried through the rest of the season, right? Like our floor for like low engagement went up significantly our ceiling in terms of like, you know, what, who, who we could reach and how many people could engage and how many views we can get. Also, we hit a lot of milestones this season in that sense, just because again, the spotlight was so much bigger on the team and there was just so much more excitement on the team. It had a, like a, a ve- again, a very significant impact to pretty much cross all, all metrics and all areas of social for us. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something I want to ask you about because that extra pressure the Clippers had for mm-hmm. this season, they hadn't really experienced that since Lob City. Yes. And so how have you found dealing with being more focused on by the media and like the general public and, mm-hmm. and how does that impact the digital comm strategy? Right. So it doesn't, I would say it doesn't necessarily impact our strategy much, okay. right? Like we still wanted to showcase the team culture, the team personalities, tell deeper stories about them, get, let people get to know them better. Right. That was still really all those core things that we were focusing on last season were just as important this season. Where it changed for us, it wasn't as much in the strategy, but just really knowing that the microscope on us and the spotlight on us was so much greater from media, from fans that who aren't, who aren't Clippers fans necessarily, uh, and just people in general, like in the NBA sphere, 
there's a much bigger microscope. So making sure we were just more buttoned up was really important, right? Knowing that like things we do in theory could be nitpicked. And no, again, again, knowing that there's a lot of, there was a lot of pressure on this year's team, uh, both internal and external to win. Uh, we definitely just, it was really just more of a focus on being more, even more buttoned up than, than normal because, because of that new spotlight. Yeah, right. One of the things that's quite unique about the NBA, you mentioned like Woj and, and those, mm. the, the big reporters, they get the news so much earlier than yeah. it, it even allows the teams to announce themselves. And I think that's quite unique. Does that, is that something that annoys an NBA team, like a social team? If I'm being honest with you, I, I like it uh, okay. because it gives us time to prepare. <laughs> you know, like, you know, teams play things so close to the vest for obvious reasons, right? Mm. They want to make sure they have every competitive advantage. But getting a day heads up or even a few hours heads up from Woj really helps us versus like if we didn't know that something was coming, that didn't know that a trade was coming, because there's always kind of a bit of lag between Woj reporting it or whoever reporting it and like the team making it official, even, you know, Kawhi and Paul George was a little extreme. It was like four days. Right. But typically it's at least a couple hours before the team is able to actually like put together a press release and do all that stuff. So that gives us time to prepare. Um, okay. So I, I actually think it's great. I love it because it doesn't really take away from anything. Like I think like maybe in the past I would have felt like, Oh, like Woj scooping us. Hmm. might hurt our engagement or, you know, because we want to be first. It's our news, right? Um, but I, I think I've come to kind of realize that it really doesn't affect, like, people are, like, if it's a big, if it's big news, big team news, the team announcing it and making it official is still a huge moment and still one that, that where we can see a lot of growth and engagement from. Yeah, and if anything, it just, like, builds anticipation for... Exactly, right. And that's what, so, like, it's a very common thing for the fans to be in the mentions and be like, announce it, announce Kawhi, announce Paul George. Uh, like I remember the whole, the Minnesota Timberwolves this season made a whole video out of that, which is great. Yeah. When they traded for D'Angelo Russell, um, they were all like, they just took all their fan tweets saying like announced D- announced D'Lo, um, and turned it into a video. And I thought that was great. Right. Like it's, it's just an, another opportunity to kind of, to create content and make something out of that moment. Yeah. It is cool. How like so many teams get creative with like the little things. And I think we've seen more of, more of an emphasis on the interaction that, people have mm-hmm. had with teams on Twitter and on Instagram in the comments, et cetera, and how people have made that into content itself. Um, just like highlighting yeah. little things like that. It's, it's quite, it's quite funny, but um, the last thing I want to talk about with you, Sandro is the NBA bubble. And I know you mm-hmm. specifically weren't in the bubble, but I wanted to ask just what it generally meant for the, the media team at the Clippers and how do you direct your team in order to, uh, ensure that the quality you're providing and the quantity of content, um, mm-hmm. you know, satisfied fans internationally and, 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 you know, rose to what we generally expect. Definitely. So it was a lot different, right? Like, and it, as anything has been really throughout this kind of like period of, of COVID, just not being able to be, to get together as a team, right. To work through solutions in the same room, uh, to plan in the same room, everything was, ha- you know, was handled virtually. So, for one, just communication was so important, right? Knowing we had one, we were fortunate to have one person on the ground capturing content, right? And so knowing what his priorities were each day, what he was focusing on, whether he's shooting photo or video, right? Just knowing those things was very important. So we knew what we could expect and then also what we could think to actually create out of that, right? So for one, honestly, just that communication w- was a little bit different, like versus just like a, a passing comment in the, you know, in the hallway at Staples Center versus like having to actually like formalize it over Slack or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that was really key. Again, for us, like, you know, I think we have very good access to the team and again, can 
knowing that we were really the only camera in a lot of places was really cool. Uh, and, and knowing that that's something that really resonates with our fans and that's something that our fans wanted, we wanted to make sure to continue to, to deliver that to them. And then also it was just a little bit different. We went kind of from, you know, on a typical home game, maybe having like five or six people capturing between photo and video to one person. So the, the emphasis went really from like capture to like, okay, what are we actually making with this, right? Like we're getting a certain amount of stuff each day. Like what are we actually going to make out of this that can be most effective? And that yeah, could be okay. anything from like a short video to just like a series of photos, right? But it's just like, it made a, it forced us to kind of think a lot more about the output just because of the, because there was limited capture uh, compared to other situations. Yeah, interesting. So it, like actually planning what you were going to create and capturing your content for that specifically. Mm-hmm. Were there any uh, innovative or particularly like creative types of content from the NBA bubble period that you were particularly proud of? So for, from our perspective, I think I really liked what we did from a community standpoint, right? So that, that show that I referenced earlier on the call, right, where we actually were creating unique value for our season ticket members and kind of just fostering that sense of community. Uh, launching, I think, our Facebook group, you know, a few teams launched groups during this kind of time off um, or time away. And I think, you know, seeing that community kind of flourish and, and foster was really cool. Like it was, you know, we had Clippers fans from all over the world uh, joining this Facebook group and talking and sharing their favorite Clipper stories and learning about how they became Clippers fans. Um, And it's it's really been a very positive place. And I think that's been pretty cool. Mm. Um, From a pure like content standpoint, again, I think for us, it was really like, I think we got really creative in how we satisfy partners and continue, you know, knowing that they don't get sponsors didn't really get any as much in arena stuff as they normally would just because they, they couldn't um, social became even more important. So we, we worked very, very hard and very closely with our sponsorship team to make every, make sure everybody was satisfied. And then again, it's continued to, to double down on what we do really well. And I think that's like access and, and team messaging. And I think Tommy, who is our video production lead, who was down in the bubble just did, did an incredible job. And then also obviously, you know, I think some other teams did really great work too. The Miami heat and the Lakers have been, have been excellent. Um, and it's great to see them in the finals, right. Two two really strong content teams doing great things. I think, you know, even some of the players getting involved, like, you know, Matisse Tybal with the Sixers vlogging. I think that was really unique and really interesting. And it's cool that he's kind of keeping it going. Yeah, definitely. Um, but for me, yeah, like I, again, like just a- access and stuff that makes people, feel a little bit closer to their favorite team or player, I think is really what drives everything at the end of the day. Um, so the more that teams are leaning into that and, and if we can help influence that, that influence that at all, like that's great. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think I, that point on uh, Matisse Thibel, I, I think the stuff that he's doing really well. And we mm-hmm. spoke about this a little bit last week um, about that player driven content. And it's yes. not something that a lot of the Clippers players are really into because I think you mentioned that, uh, like the Clippers players are a little bit older and and less attuned mm-hmm. with some of like the the intricacies of producing content and um, just like not really part of like I mean Kawhi doesn't even have social media. Right. Is, how does that? How do you feel about that? Um, is that something that you wish you guys could interact with the more player driven content, or is it something that you've just tried to implement into your uh, like the Clippers pro- uh, content? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think players being active can really help us just because it's more stuff for us to pull from. And we do it, like, I love the culture of, of our team and our players, but yeah, they're so, a lot of them are just so focused on basketball yeah. because they're just such serious hoopers. 
that they don't really spend a ton of time on Instagram. They don't really spend a ton of time on Twitter. Not, you know, barely any time on Twitter, really. Outside of Pat sending the same tweet after every game, <laughs> um, which I love. But yeah, like, I, you know, we work very hard still, though, to provide them with, with high quality content and they can use it as they see fit, right? Like a lot of that is just really, you know, guys always want their photos mm. after each game and you'll see them post them very frequently. And, you know, they are, again, they're not the most active. Like I, I love stuff, you know, in social, I love stuff that's like roundups of like what players or staff are saying on social. Like I think it's a really easy way to kind of get fan engagement up too, because people want to know what their player, what the players are saying. And I think those kind of quote graphics and stuff like that are very creative. So we don't get as much to work with there, but that's okay. Cause again, I think our, our access kind of carries us. And again, just being able to support them in any way we can is, is, is still really important, even if they're not as, as, you know, active or, or plugged in as, as, you know, a, a young guy like Matisse. Yeah, definitely. Um, Sandro, thanks so much for being mm-hmm. so generous with your time today and uh, all your advice and your insight into, you know, one of the coolest jobs in the world. Um, <laughs> definitely enjoyed listening to uh, some of the things you have to say. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Digital Rookie Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Sandro. I'd like to reiterate my appreciation to Sandro for taking the time to be a guest on my podcast and providing such an interesting insight into the intricacies of his role at the Clippers. Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, if you want to connect with Sandro and myself on LinkedIn, then head to description below and you can find links to our profiles there. If you're finding my podcast interesting and you're enjoying the content, then I'd really appreciate if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or so and really means a lot to hear from those listening. Otherwise, that's all from me for today's app. Make sure you keep an eye out for next week's episode and I'll catch you then. Cheers.